Okay, so the first thing you were talking about um, earlier was having a, a schedule timer on Twitch. Is that something you've already figured out? Yeah, uh, I did a search, two links popped up, checked a bit, I clicked on two links, they gave me two different programs, I couldn't figure out how to get one word, or one program, I couldn't figure out where it was outputting the text file, and then another one I downloaded had a, had one working, but after OBS wasn't, for some reason wasn't working properly, so I closed it and then tried to open it again. And then it just gave okay, me an I, error. I didn't button. need any of that. I, I just needed, yes, you've tinkered with it and need more time. Something like that. I tinkered with um, it. I found an easier solution. It works. Okay. So for next time, you're going to be able to set that up? It's already set up. Okay. So that means, is it also aware of our Wednesday, Sunday thing? What do you mean? Because we have a schedule, right? Is it able to announce, like, set that up so that right now it's going to set up Wednesday? Are we on a different page? I want somebody to go to Twitch and then see a timer. Is that something you were talking about? That Oh, not that time. Um, I was looking for the... I was trying to set up a countdown timer for breaks and such, but that it's something. It... That I have a clock. That's fine. So the problem is time zones and people knowing ahead of time when when the show will appear. So there would be like a thing or a video or something or a listing of time zones or I want a person to go to wherever that and was no... set up at some point um i know that's set up because so if you click on the icon itself or the um... i don't know what you're talking about are you on the twitch page right now i'm in a moderator page um i don't know how to get there so if you just uh, go to pardon oh, this interface is terrible yeah so if you just click on the icon, and then what icon? The... There are many icons. You're right. Where? Uh, just click on the name. What name? Loose indifference. Where? You mean at the? You mean underneath the video on the left hand side? Yes. Where it says "Loose indifference" twice for some reason. Yes. Okay. What about it? You should see home about schedule video. If you click schedule, it'll show you. Okay. So. Okay. And it's, it's localized to the viewer's time zone. Then, yes. Yeah? Okay. Okay. So that ought to work. And I see it's showing us. So why does it show last Wednesday? That's rather weird. It shows us where we're scheduled to talk. And that's. Oh. As... Huh. I'm very confused. Okay, well, if this is the built-in thing, this is we can always yeah. improve on that if the need arises. Okay, so that was a success. So you remember how I was talking about keeping notes and writing down your successes? This is an example of something you could have written down as a to-do item that you could have checked off. And if we come back in one week, 
and you have to think back on what you've done with your life, you won't remember this unless you've written it down. Uh, it will just become kind of faded into, yes, I've been alive, and you won't really know what's happened in your life. Um, so I recommend that because there was some effort involved in performing, in finding success in that, then you would, um, you would, you would note it, even if you didn't have it as a to-do item. And in the future, because I, I threw what three notebook, like little notepads at you, do you know where they are? Right here. Then start right now. Put today's date down. Write down. You know, Twitch scheduling. Right, Twitch scheduling setup. Whatever. I've done like last week, and we chatted about it. I think we even have. Don't it. care. You can write it down as a success today. Okay. You don't need to be picky about it. Um, okay, so so you had problems with you fiddled to attempt improvement with OBS, and you kind of broke it. Yeah. And that that reveals a problem. Well, first, it's a problem with software in general, and because I've done quality assurance type stuff, and one of the things that we in that environment do it, this is separate from the developer environment so when people who are doing the programming and and testing the hard actual stuff that's a different environment from the people that end up doing the quality assurance the um the the troubleshooting documentation stuff at the user side of things so helping everyday people go through their problems that they, they would call technical support that I'm, well, I understand all aspects of it cause that's been my, my business and, but I'm much closer to the documentation side of things. And when we're in that realm, one of the things that we think about is reproducibility for the entire structure of the environment. And a lot of things weren't really possible back then, partly because uh, we had business side limitations i would just be some phone jockey for example but i would assert more power over what i could do in order to solve problems better like i would go and talk with developers and as opposed to this is my list of stuff this is my script i talk about i would actually do more and some of the tech some of the software technology and hardware technologies did, just didn't physically exist or nobody knew how to use it and one of them is virtualization and what is possible to do is set up a virtual machine for you to install an environment in. And that environment is what you open up in order to perform a show. And you have the ability to go to take a snapshot of that environment of after every show, for example. And then you can do whatever you want. And if some problem happens, you don't even have to troubleshoot anymore. You just go roll back, it rolls back to the previous success, and you continue from there. The only in-between weirdness is if you if there's like a Windows update in between and you need to get that or something really weird. Um, but it completely eliminates the idea of troubleshooting anything ever. And it lets you experiment and just change your mind and roll back. This this concept exists in within windows itself it was a thing that um was introduced somewhere inside of os 10 
And so Apple users can brag about this concept, but it's it's much older than them. It's much older than Windows 10, for example. Um, and I'm trying to remember what the term is. Um, I'm going to look through my notes, see see if I can find it. Um, it's not it's so you can set up virtual machines but that's not what i'm thinking of uh clean slate is uh, one of the programs that i use but the the concept concept is called a steady state and i was aware of this since windows xp um i actually can't remember i think i bought a piece of software that let me do this or i don't think they gave it to me um but I'm pretty sure I didn't pirate it. I'm not sure because back then I was back then was a totally different world, and so it it even operated back to like Windows 98 type stuff. And the the idea is that it would it would uh, inject itself into the structure of the operating system, and it would keep track of the things that were going on. And you could roll back the state to some snapshot point. So a piece of software like that on maybe your computer or managing that user would let you just snap your fingers and solve that problem. And there would just be like, so there would be your operating system, your operating environment might be controlled like that, but there might be storage space that you might choose to not do that. Um, there's something called uh, shadow shadow copy in Windows. It was supposed to not be there, but it was it was found and then made available again. Um, and shadow copy is available in Windows 10, and it keeps revisions on files, which is not exactly what you want. So either a virtual machine environment or a steady state environment would would solve your problem. Um, and so I'm not sure if that's something something for the far future i mean it's something i'm kind of going to note by talking about it now but um i tend to not listen through the entirety of a show right now because there's not there's not enough of an audience um so i'm not going to listen to this in the future and then write down notes necessarily so if you want to for the future you can toss in your to-do notes uh steady state and I'll, I'll type stuff to you in Discord. Wait, steady state for which part? It's just a phrase called steady state. And you can, for example, try something like these guys. I used an old version of it, but I've, I've got lots and lots and lots of notes. Um, and there are... Okay, so you can write that in your to-do list as maybe some far dream in the future. And you can work with me, and I can help you find solutions. This is not for now because it's just—it's too much effort. There's other more important things that you could work on, which um, it's return on investment. So there's stuff that's more important now that is essential for actually bootstrapping for booting up the show. Right? There's stuff that's that's going to pay off bigger, but later on. Um, it's not like when you're running out of stuff to do that you would pick up this. It's this is part of the 20% time. 
the other 80% is working on the essentials. Like you start thinking about, well, we need to think about a logo or colors, or we need to write. That's the, the essential 80%. Like we need an auto moderating robot service. The one with Twitch is not doing this or this, or we need, right? So this would be part of your 20% time. So if you make a separate to-do list or just shove it at the bottom of your to-do list, steady state, um then that so so this is me riffing off of the problem that you just had as we were starting up so um what you just experienced perfectly highlights why we quote unquote start the show early because we can hammer through this stuff and 15 minutes is not going to be fast enough for actual big troubleshooting um it's just kind of for running the checklist through so in some sense you have to start on your own sooner than that and i guess it would be you and me just doing voice checks or whatever other kind of like the streaming test concept was still a good one like we'd have a separate twitch account and stream into that to run a quick test and then pull it back and stream into the real thing for the for the actual show that's still an option that we've we've thought about before so i don't know if that's for the future so okay well that was um a bunch of stuff to talk about um i did take some notes uh, although i didn't take notes as they came into my head which is something i guess i'll work on in terms of stuff to talk about um and i like talking about random everyday things because um i'm an expert at the things that happen to me in my life and that tends to be something interesting that i can talk about um so yesterday i was completely wrecked and i, and I kind of felt it the night before um and this this kind of happens when i'm not particularly well hydrated in the middle of the night i will overheat a bit and we naturally kind of, we have like an aura of um atmosphere around us of water that we're constantly um it's not like sweat sweat but it's there's just this normal field of water around us and this is part of what protects you if you were to reach your hand into oh uh, i want to say liquid nitrogen but don't quote me don't actually try it um but there are some experts who will handle some materials and they understand these properties and you're actually safe for a moment <laughs> while you're fiddling with um I don't know like i've you can actually see some videos where it'll be a good five seconds or so where they're they'll actually like be handling the the ice the the shards of liquid whatever the heck liquid nitrogen or not liquid god uh dry ice dry ice yeah i i think that must be it right and and liquid nitrogen because you no know, that's that's what terminator 2 um so no, not that stuff. Definitely don't do that. But um, and and, it, and it's precisely because we have. Uh, it's not the fact that your your body is warm and it takes time for it to cool off. That's not what, what's protecting you. It's the uh, aura of liquid around you. Um, anyhow, so that happens at night, and that's part of why you're a little bit dehydrated, but also because um, your body does what it does, and you need to pee when you get up. Well, I do. Um, and 
So, and there's, so there's a combination of your perspiring moisture and your body is pulling moisture out of your body in order to make your urine. And so you kind of get dehydrated. So you'll be, you're, you go from grape to raisin overnight. And if you, in my case, if I don't drink enough water throughout the day, the day before, then, um, in, in this case, I, I developed it in the middle of the night and I woke up with a headache and it was a pretty bad headache. It's a very specific headache that has to do with dehydration. And I can say it's dehydration because, um, these are headache is one of the main warning signs of actual, if you're in a desert dehydrated. And, uh, if you get a headache while you are doing stuff, like if you're out, if you're in the heat or for example, you need to, uh, it's already too late. You have done damage. You need to get out. You can't just, um, drink some water and keep pushing. You're, you're done. And in my case, I was done, even though I, even though I recognized it, started drinking water, et cetera. Six hours later, I still had the headache. That's when I decided to take, uh, and acetaminophen, that's aspirin. And it still didn't help. Um, I don't know why, because I don't know how acetaminophen works. And I was out of ibuprofen, so that's Tylenol. And uh, so, and so, yeah, may, maybe I took the wrong stuff, or maybe it was bad, or maybe it just took so much time for whatever. Maybe I needed Gatorade. You know, I actually contemplated that. But uh, so I can still feel it right now. So, so I guess the piece of advice is. There's a reason why um, I don't I don't know how real it is for a lot of people for where they are, but there, there's a thing where kids want to get up to have something to drink. And I think it's just they're sensitive enough to like every little pain hurts them more because they're not just used to the suffering of life that an adult is, and so they want to drink more even at night. And so maybe that's, that's something to kind of relearn is to be more hydrated, obviously. And to, if you ever, like, if if you do the old man thing, like I do, um, if I get up to pee, I have to, to drink the same volume of like a glass of water or something. Um, and that's the other thing I want to talk about before I forget. Um, I had talked about my water snobbery and uh i think the water in our um so i've got this stand-up water cooler thing all it is is a fancy stand with a spout that you can overturn one of these five gallon um plastic bottles of water on and um the water tastes awful and i think it tastes awful because the entire contraption is next to a window and it gets um good morning light and the blinds are mostly open so it gets morning direct light. And I think um, that it's being used to fill up water bottles. And if a water bottle touches the spout at all, the bacteria can ride its way up and has probably um, blossomed in there. It's not bad to drink. And I've tasted this before, but the bottle is quite full. So something's going on, and I think the entire affair has to be cleaned the next time that bottle is, before it gets replaced. And 
it's a pretty straightforward procedure, but I'm going to need to do it because this could have been like last time or the time before the time before where a little bit of bacteria got in there and now it's kind of stuck around the, um, it's one of those, it's that water cooler is one of those that has, um, not like hot and cold, but it has room temperature and cold and the refrigeration part of things. It, it isn't even turned on because we don't use enough cold water to justify the noise and electricity that it would take. Um, but so it's got a, essentially that cold water thing is a little tank that tries to keep that water cool. And it's only, you know, how much volume of water is in there, but it's essentially stagnant water. If we're only using one of the spouts, then the other spout is just water that's pooled. That's in there, not going anywhere. I and pour from it's possible. Both every now and then. Yeah. I tend to only go for the one for the one on the left. So it's the one that's just the regular, it's a, so it's a straight pipe through from the bottle into that spout. And I tend to not go for the other one. And I think this means that if, if you change bottles in between, you're still got the stagnant water from the previous water bottle in the quote unquote cold water area. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that's how bacteria can persist from bottle to bottle. So it's, it's a, problem that seems to be unique to uh, refilling a somebody's little canteen or and being next to a window and being a cold a refrigerated capable um uh stand and being and not being plugged in <laughs> and not being used so it's a combination of a bunch of stuff that means i have it's it is pretty foul tasting water um so i don't mind switching having said all that um i i mean i don't mind switching to diet pepsi but caffeine is a diuretic as i've said before which means your body will retain generally less water which is kind of defeating the entire purpose of staying hydrated but it's better than just not drinking anything so um so yeah that was and I, i'm a day later and it's, this is the same reason i don't drink alcohol if you'll excuse me i'm actually going to open a this episode is brought to you by Diet Pepsi. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, that ad spot just wrecked my train of thought. Um, Something about Diet Pepsi being diuretic? Yeah, so caffeine is a diuretic. So it, it's better to drink a soda than nothing, but it's better to drink water than anything, really. Um, uh, fruit juices have more sugar than soda and soda has sugar. And even if it doesn't have sugar, it has caffeine or aspartame or something else. So generally speaking, water is amazing. And again, as I've said before, I'm a snob. So, um, it's, I mean, I guess the alternative is what tea, um, if you pick your tea, it can have less caffeine. I've never actually tried decaffeinated tea. Is that a, that's a thing, isn't it? That's a thing. I think I've heard of that. Um, that sounds like an awful experience, but then again, like decaffeinated anything sounds kind of awful. Um, it's not that I have a dependency on caffeine, but I don't, uh, I don't know. It just seems a little weird. It seems a little processed to me which is strange 
considering coffee and tea are already kind of processed. So maybe decaffeinated um, coffee and tea is something that I should explore. Um, I have coffee. Coffee's on my, what would you call it? Like my, my restaurant, uh, what do you call it? A, a restaurant where you've got like the, the menu, I guess I could call it. So coffee's on my menu. I don't particularly like coffee. So maybe it doesn't matter if I get decaffeinated coffee. And why would I be drinking it anyway? Okay, so yeah, the entire point of me getting and drinking coffee is to have the caffeine to act as an appetite suppressant, which is also very good at. And I did that when I was experimenting with dieting because it really helps if you've got, if you're, your body will complain miserably if all you're doing is eating. In my case, I was only eating beef to experiment with that, um, which I recommend everybody try, but you have to do it right and you have to know what you're doing and you should not do it for an extended period of time. This should just be an experiment. Then you pay attention, go back to your usual bit, you know, learn and maybe dip into it. I think for a lot of uh, ketogenic diets like that, even even maybe something like Atkins, you have to understand how to round it, or you have to just dip into it for a certain period of time and then get back out, be fairly normal but healthy, and kind of seesaw up and down. As opposed to, uh, there are some people who who fast for too long or for, who crash into a certain kind of diet and then splurge. That's I I don't like the idea of doing that. Even though I talked to, I actually talked to a dietitian. Um, and I specifically brought up like binging cause I got problems with binging cause I, you know, I like cheesecake and all this kind of stuff. Like who doesn't? And so I was, um, I engaged her on the problem of binging and she said that, you know, as long as most of the time, like 80% of the time you're on the straight and narrow, it doesn't matter if you binge. I don't, I totally don't believe her because I didn't have the time to express just how much I binge when I do <laughs> just feel like I'll, I'll, I'll have a pie for dinner and then breakfast the next day and I'll just be wrecked with all the sugar. Um, and that's no, that's, that's not like an exception would be a slice of pie for dessert. <laughs> um, just once, but for me, no, it'll be, the, it'll be the whole meal. Um, so, so that's dehydration. So I've talked about a little bit about that before, and I do want to end it with, um, dehydration. Most people don't know this, but there are, I know that there's more than this, but I can't remember if there's another one, but the, I, I'm going to say the two main ways that humans die is one is cancer. Um, and the other, it, it, we can say quote unquote natural causes, but what that actually means is almost always it means dehydration. So a person will pass in their sleep because they were dehydrated going in, their body gave out. And I mean, it's not a terrible way to go or anything like that, but um, but staying more hydrated as a lifestyle, getting into being a senior. And this is one of the reasons why I've heard, I haven't checked any of the stats on this, why the British in particular have some pretty old elderly people um, because they have tea time and that's, although there is the caffeine issue, they, there is more water being drunk. 
Um, and I think if, if it's a lifestyle thing that a person is concerned about their health for the express purpose of life extension, then just drinking straight old water as, um, as a lifestyle is a really good idea. Um, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of the notion of ritualizing things that you want to get done right. So for this show, for example, um, I've, I've stressed the notion of a, it's called a workflow is when you have this list of stuff to do, you can just turn your brain off and complete these items. And you don't have to think about what order to do things in, how it works. You don't have to remember anything. And this is so that coming up to that moment, you can have a completely clear mind and sit down and get the job done. You don't have to wind up to get there. It's already kind of done ahead of time. And just as you go through it, you improve it as you, as you go through a checklist, for example. And just as long as every time you, you are in the moment of using that workflow, you improve that workflow. The next time it comes around, it gets a little bit easier, a little bit simpler, a little bit straightforward, like your window of things to do, uh, how, how much time or effort it takes. That window of time shrinks a little bit because your instructions are concise. And so I'm a big, I, I push for procedure in that way. I'm just, I'm that type. And that ritualization can also apply to something as foolish as drinking more water. So if you ritualize it in the classic, uh, like we, we would say pre-theistic uh, religious sense, you would the word is fetish. Most people think fetish means sexual fetish, but it, it just means like the imbuing of additional properties to an object. So fetishizing might be a religious thing where you'd have a religious symbol for fertility is the obvious one where you have like a little chubby woman is a symbol of fertility in a bunch of different cultures in history, prehistory, what have you. So you would you would create a a kind of a water fetish in the shape of say a really beautiful mug and something that has meaning has purpose um, for some people just making it expensive is enough or hard to get uh, maybe it's a mug that you made yourself part of some story as long as it's you know food safe and easy to use then that is one way of instilling a uh, kind of meaning into a thing and then tying that thing in, in into a ritual of well now it's your it's your morning experience to get up there's already water in this mug you you would go and you would cross-legged and meditate and think about the day that's coming forward or you would look at your diary or, and you would drink this water as part of that the experience of ritualizing it and all of that is not um dictated by like the structure of a religion it's just one's own individual um individual process like your own kind of personal thing and something like water being added into it if if like uh if you have other associated experiences of life then you can just kind of pull them all together and have water be a part of that then you can actually stay more hydrated I know one woman who her, okay, so water is also really important if you're losing weight. 
as weird because people talk about things like, well, you have water weight and you need to, you'll, you'll, when you first start your diet, you lose a lot of weight really easily, but that's really just water. Well, okay. So if a person wants to lose weight, one of the things they need to do is drink more water. And I don't, I don't understand the specifics well enough, but I've, I've seen a lot of people that are concerned about their weight or just their, their, let's call it their material, their physical um, health. Uh, when they're specifically crafting their, they have intention in their consumption that they will specifically go after drinking lots of water, including like trying to sip a very tall glass of water throughout their morning, as opposed to people that wait for a meal or, you know, boredom or whatever the heck. So those people that are already water conscious because they're dieting already understand the value of having these kind of ritualized states where they kind of um where they they have an intent and they ritualize and they have the the like a special tall glass that's the one glass they own for that morning water like they'll do stuff like that or what a lot of people especially people that um like they have, they have an active-ish lifestyle and they go from like work to the gym and they'll often have the water bottle and it's the water bottle that they take to the office and they take it, but they don't put coffee in it. It's water. And they take that from the office to the gym and it's the one thing with the one purpose. And they'll, and so that ends up being an object for ritualizing for adding um, for investing a little bit more interest in the act of working out or the act the act of just being healthy in general um, and that's a reasonable enough note so normally we would take a break at about this time so why don't we technically we've been a little we'll, bit we'll take short. a break in like two minutes but well then i'd have to talk for only two minutes and we'd have to cut me off mm. so the idea is we we start early if we find a natural pause and and just come back on time um because we need people to be able to know when they when they will be able to step away for sure as opposed to just being locked down by us so yes taking a break okay. and we'll come back at 5 30 pacific 8 8 30 i was messing Here's that time zone up for so long we'll be back in 10 minutes the other thing i wanted to i guess talk about everyday stuff so i've been more and more interested in gardening because of well i've always been interested in that um but it's one of those there's a lot of stuff in life that i've been interested in and then i dabble with and because i've been interested in it for long enough i just kind of suddenly am competent at it um and people will misunderstand it as being being talent, but it's not. I've just been pondering a thing for decades, maybe. And gardening isn't quite like that. I've been interested in it for a while, but I've got a black thumb. And uh, so there's, there's an entire class of stuff that I can't take care of because it will just die. And I want to, for the first time really ever, I've got technically enough space and resources now that we have this fancy new internet thing and these moving pictures on places like youtube 
where people can actually show stuff and explain stuff better, it's, it's more, it's actually possible for me to grasp the nuances of gardening. So I'm, I've been thinking more and more about that. And so I just, my latest acquisition, which doesn't necessarily mean I'll be prompted to use it, but my latest acquisition is um, one of these fancy as seen on TV metal garden hoses. And it's uh, the reason I, I spent the extra money and it did cost, I mean, there, there are really good quality garden hoses and a garden hose isn't a garden hose, isn't a garden hose. Um, the reason I got a metal one is because it's kink free and the kinking happens. So you, you usually spool it on the side of your house or something and you unravel it and it always folds back on itself and it gets this, this dent in it. And that not only is that bad because you can't get water through that, that constraint, but it's also potentially damaging for the actual hose itself. And um and i've already damaged one garden hose like my bad we need some slap tape and can probably fix that right up um i don't know where to get that and maybe i should actually write that down um hose tape and that's probably less expensive than getting a new garden hose um and so i got this fancy metal thing and i don't care about its other features like i'm not going to freeze it in a block of ice i'm not going to we just get a crimp a what or the reason why you don't use tape on a hose is because eventually the water pressure will just push against the tape well there's like special magic tape that's for this kind of thing or you could just get um, something a seal to press onto it yeah i'm, I'm not again i yeah, it's something i'll have to look into so it might be cheaper than buying a new hose. This, that particular hose, um, it's a small leak, but so it's one of these like little adorable streams that kind of sprays out. It doesn't really do anything, doesn't affect anything, but that's always the kind of thing you want to get on top of. The thing is we've got, um, I think, so now we've got three hoses and uh, the other hose is bad and has to be thrown away. So salvaging this one might be a good idea. And there's my new one. Okay. So that's my host story. I'm not going to be using the other features like subjecting it to, to a flamethrower or crushing it with a car or anything dumb like that. But I am going to be rather random about how I yank it around the place. It's actually surprisingly light. I got a hundred feet, but I don't know that I actually, I, I, I did the test. So I pulled it out. So I put it on and pulled it out. And I dragged it around the entirety of the property just to see where it's going to reach, just to understand. And it actually reaches like around the house and across the side of the property, uh, not quite to the road. So it's, it's, it's a hilarious amount of, of space. And that can actually, it means that I can, every single car from every direction could be hosed down with this hose. So it works. And then, um, and then so it's it's plenty to drag around and the problem with a hose is it's it's tempting to have a really long hose but you've got two problems one is if you have a long hose you have more length and more weight so one of the advantages of this particular hose it is it is actually it seems lighter than the previous hose but it is more length so it is so of the length that I end up having to pull out, that length ends up being lighter. 
if I were to pull the entire thing, the entire 100 feet off and use that, then probably hefting the whole thing would be heavy. But I, you only drag so much, and it drags so smoothly across anything because it's just metal. It's a metal shaft that doesn't catch like the um, whatever combination of material the hose is because it's not necessarily all rubber on the outside, right? And that stuff has a different friction. So this hose is actually lighter um, for moving around. There's less friction and there's less uh, weight. So it's actually remarkably easy to move around. But if I only need it for like a yard type of thing, I can only pull out so much. Um, so that's that's a really nice addition to things. And I, I don't know if I've already talked about my water weeder, but it is magic stuff. Um, and it it has actually worked. So it's a tool that lets you press down and blast water away from uh, uh, the z-axis. So vertically down a root, and you can actually pull the entire. And the root is like an incredibly long thing, like the length of a carrot that you can pull all the way out, and nothing will grow back in in that place. There is no substance to that weed, and weeds don't just like reappear for no reason. So weeds will reappear when they're reseeded, which means that if you, for example, are infested by um, dandelion and you want to get rid of all your dandelions, so you can you can go ahead and you can use this tool to pull all from the roots all the way up all your dandelions. But it, all it takes is a couple of dandelion seeds to kind of like float on the wind back and come to your lawn and they will eventually reseed into new that's how you get new dandelions but for other weeds that's not a thing um they they only sprout seeds when the plants are only so mature so you can um weed your entire lawn and it's not like that part of your lawn is going to be blowing seeds over to the other part of your lawn or anything like that like if dandelions if you're not on top of it and one of your dandelions very quickly turn into the little puff it can actually reseed a chunk of the rest of your lawn and um so so for the the nasty weeds i'm they're gone um there's some that i'm going to pull out um that kind of reappear because i was lazy about some of it but they're going to be gone too and so it's and having a good tool for that is so much better than this fork that i bought it's like um it's like a two prong thing that that's supposed to give you some leverage against the stock to help you leverage out the entirety of the root but it's terrible it doesn't work um maybe i'm just not skilled i need some more practice but it, it really is kind of awful and i'd rather have a good thick i use like welding gloves um to to grasp these terrible weeds and the water tool and i can just pull the entire thing up and it's it's easy as long as the soil isn't awful, which it won't be once I'm done. Once I'm done. So yeah, that's my my hose weeder story. Um, the uh, can't think of much. I do have other no random notes, and hopefully I have my head on straight for the future. But um, you and I had talked about workflows and checklists. Uh, the notion of turning your brain off. Uh, when you're looking at a checklist, it's really weird. A lot of people want to pretend like they're experts at something. If if it's something that you've done like for a long time and you're good at it and 
et cetera, et cetera. It's an entirely different thing if you're doing it um, when you've had other stuff on your mind or when something breaks or under stress or when you're trying to teach someone else. It, you're, it just doesn't happen. And so writing stuff down and referring to your workflow, even if it's insulting, is a way of letting you continually adapt and improve that workflow. It lets you hand it to somebody else, even if that means handing it to uh, a hungover version of yourself in the future. You, you now have a thing where you don't need the entirety of your expert brain in order to pursue some goal. And it just becomes, it becomes easy and easy. Um, this is technically not necessary if it's a task that's done all the time and if there's a great motivation and if you're not doing a whole lot of other stuff that requires that kind of expertise. Like we have this notion of the grandmother that knows how to bake a pie from scratch. And that that's kind of insane for a lot of people because there's a there are a lot of nuances to getting that right. Now, there's not just the ingredients and the amounts and there's all the different tools and there's, and it's, it's a lot of really weird, subtle stuff that happens in there to do it grandma style. But, um, but somebody who loves doing that and that's the thing, the one thing that they do that they can, they don't need recipe lists. They don't need, but if they were trying to teach somebody else, then suddenly that was important all along. If they try to do it on a when they're ill or when whatever, when they're not all 100%, when you're tired or when you have to do more than one of them, then writing things down so you can say, well, now I need X bricks of butter because I'm making X number of pies. You know, suddenly having the procedures is should have been a priority right from the beginning. The the joke, and I know for the United States, I don't know about Canada, which is a bit of a shame, and I don't know about elsewhere. Um, and there are some jokes of, of ha-ha, America dumb, when you're looking at the American military with their instructions. And the joke is you can actually go and get, because it, it there's, there's a thing in the United States government where the things that the government produces, there's a class of stuff that has to become public domain, like totally public domain, not just American citizen, but global to the world. So the stuff the taxpayers pay for, for NASA, for example, I can go and I can get um, really high resolution computer assisted images. I can get them from NASA, like me personally from NASA itself directly, um, I can get that stuff and I can use the public domain, even though I'm not even an American citizen because of these rules. So you can go and you can get a United States military recipe for fruitcake. And it's, and this is the running joke is first off, nobody wants to eat fruitcake, but maybe if you're in the military, that's a nice treat. Like maybe that's the level of desperation you need to have. I know some people like fruitcake. I'm not. I'm not saying that you're a bad person if you like fruitcake, but I'm just saying that I would not. I don't like, I've tried. It's just not. Maybe I haven't had the right kind of fruitcake. We can have that discussion. And I'd go on a tour of trying all kinds of fruitcake. I probably hate every last one of them, but I'd still do it. Anyhow, the joke is the American military has this old fruitcake recipe, and it's the most blunt, 
insultingly simple set of instructions. And I can't remember it all because it was just too offensive to stick in my memory. I have, I have better things to do with my brain. Um, but I recall that it had stuff like how many times you stir it and the, the shapes of bowls and this, and just, it's the most, and what's, and, and you think, okay, come on, it's a fruitcake. Like, how can you screw this up slash, you know, why is it so specific? And the thing is, it's so specific because it's in a class of documentation that is supposed to be that specific. And it just happened to have been caught by the rest of it's, it's by the, by a whole bunch of associated documentation. It's just done by the same people with the same processes. And the reason that you, you get military documentation that is dumb, that is like absolutely stupid insulting. And the reason why you have big words on big, obvious things with arrows, that's like this, like, um, this face towards enemy, this kind of like phrases when it's like, come on, of course, like pull pin, throw towards enemy. That's yes. Duh. But the reason all that is done. This is because like, sorry to interrupt but or like the claymore is this towards enemy yeah exactly i mean and it's like well like the shape is only just so way and you could you don't need to have the text or it just seems insulting that's the right way of putting it but the thing is that documentation and that style and all of that the markings and all of that stuff that isn't made for you right now to sit and understand that isn't made for your expert brain that is made for a version of you that is that is damaged panicked that is distracted um so in the military context this could be if you're under fire and you and things just don't work right in your head the instructions really need to be like that because your brain can't think about two thoughts at the same time it's it's a kind of near shell shock experience when you need to be able to, you know, repair a thing, prepare a thing. When, when you're under the extremes of stress and that, that kind, that style of documentation, that workflow or the checklists is most insulting in the military context because there's a very good reason. That has directly led to saving lives or, you know, taking the appropriate lives. And so there's a reason for that. And there's a version of that for like you, if you're under stress, if you're talking to a customer on the phone, there's a reason there are scripts. And even, even if it comes across as whatever, there's just certain, there's certain phrases that are important to have. And there's certain psychology or there's certain whatever. And coming right back up to you yourself and a thing that you are meant to be expert at. If you create a checklist for yourself, it isn't meant for you on your best day. It's meant for you on your worst day. So it's meant for when, think, when, when you literally rolled out of bed and you have to get into it right now. And you, you, you're not, your head isn't in the game. You know, if 
for whatever reason, et cetera. And you've got this thing. And this thing was crafted by the best moments of every other version of yourself that has used that checklist. Because last time and the time before and the time before, et cetera, going back to when you started it, you have contributed a fine layer of silt to this, to this, you know, this rock face. You've actually created um, a foundation. If I can stretch that analogy enough. And so, yeah, that's, that's why I'm a big believer in the value of documentation done right, as long as it is kept up to date, because boy, can it get, um, the moment the people who use it become um, too, like too distant from the people that actually, the people that use it and the people that maintain it as, as when there's drift. So when the people that use it don't have, don't even know who to talk to, to get improvements done. And they're not the people in charge of the documentation. The people in charge are too slow, or if there's too much of a chain of procedure, um, then it becomes nightmarish, really nightmarish. And a lot of people in actual technical support or sales, um, they are like that. They're subject to rules and they don't, there is no mechanism for them to provide feedback and they're not necessarily allowed to wing it unless they, um, unless they earn their way, way up, in, unless they earn their way up into the class of people that can just kind of like skirt the rules because that person's a good performer. They don't stick to the script, but they don't need to. And you can see, you know, the results give them this kind of power. And in a lot of businesses, that's not going to be most people. Um, so you, most, most staff are not going to be able to, um, avoid the problems of the scripting of their workflow. Um, yeah. So anyhow, on to something else. So the, the workflow checklist, the, the setup and teardown, um, is something else I want to talk about. So the teardown for this particular show, uh, part of the problem is making sure that every day there is some content on, in this case, we're still thinking about a YouTube channel. So we understand the scheduling well enough. So we understand the Wednesday, Sunday thing. And the next would be understanding what happens in between those days. And we mapped it out and I like the way it's mapped out. So the, the mapping would be, so for example, um, today is Sunday and the next show would be Wednesday. So that means that we have two days in between to fill. So that means tomorrow there needs to be something up and Tuesday there needs to be something up. And what we would normally do is we would take this Sunday show, possibly like normalize the audio or do um, noise reduction, things like that, and prep it and upload it on the day before the next show. So that would be Tuesday. So that's one day that's filled. There's that opening, that, that one hole in the schedule of Monday. Well, what do we do about tomorrow? So the idea was that we'd have some sort of preview clip of the next big upload. So of the Tuesday upload. And so my teardown needs to be that. So I, I have a job 
of prepping a clip of some sort. And the thing is, I what I would like is that every single day at that particular time, there is content. So it would either be a live show, a rebroadcast, or one of these clips. And it would come out at, um, what is it, 4.30 Pacific, 7.30, no, 7.30 Eastern. Right, so that would be the schedule. And the idea is that I could get stuff to you and YouTube has scheduling built in. So that means that after today's show, I would need you would need to do your teardown of taking these recordings, doing the whatever prep work, like following your teardown process, your checklist, and then getting a copy to me so that I can as soon as possible prep a clip and get it to you so you can schedule it for Monday. Now, the um, what you are worried about is getting the scheduling and the uploading done on time. So I need to get it to you between, essentially between now and at some time, like a half an hour before quote unquote showtime for Monday. So I think my goal is if on your end of things, you can get the data to me ASAP after a show, then that means that I can process it probably tonight and then um, prep it for you and return it probably tonight. And then you can do it at your leisure tonight or tomorrow. And so what this ends up doing is this, it kind of, it kind of sucks. So maybe I want to think of it a different way. Maybe what I want to say is, um, I don't like the idea of you having something to do outside of the the normal scheduling of this show. Um, not I don't want it either. Um, so maybe what should happen is, since I'm thinking live, so maybe what should instead happen is is you still have your tear down, and maybe that's maybe it's only 15 minutes once you get your once you understand maybe it's at most a half an hour after a show to tear down go through a checklist make sure everything is wrapped up do the backup get the data to me okay maybe that's your half an hour after the show and then i maybe my tear down is going to be other stuff i don't know we'll figure that out and tomorrow i would have showtime even though nothing is going live we would both have something to do my your showtime going live would be nothing, right? My showtime would be prepping the clips and getting them to you before end time. And I guess what I would do is in the one or two hours, I would fiddle to get the clips done and get that to you. And then you would fiddle. And then by end of showtime, I guess, like, no, the our normal three hour three and a half hour stretch before the end of that time period in that off day on monday or on tuesday thursday friday saturday at the end of that showtime you would have uploaded and scheduled the clip so so that means after the show you get me the data and then before uh, and then tomorrow around showtime normally I would give you uh, the clips. I would return it. And then tomorrow you'd have a, a job to schedule and you would be able to schedule both Monday and Tuesday. 
so I'll give you everything up. And so we have like one extra day of stuff to, to process one extra. Um, so after each show, we have an additional chunk of work the next day. And then it's just day off in between because everything's automated once you upload it. So, um, so I will edit, I will suggest this in more appropriate detail after the show. And then I'll begin kind of my workflow, my, in this case, my Monday workflow. Um, and that should make us, that should streamline us. I think, I think we've got a good thing going for how things are working out. Um, on to something else. Cause that's probably boring. Um, the video preparation stuff. So I, I can go through the audio and I can listen and randomly go through and pick stuff out and I can assemble some clip show of stuff, but I don't really know what I'm doing. So what I can do is I can prepare those clips separately if you like, or I can string them together with X number of seconds of pause. Um, and so I, I learned, so I'm editing everything in audacity and what I've done is, and you'll see it with the audacity file, the, the audacity project that I gave you is I actually split it out into a second track. And that second track just has bits from the first track pulled down. So if you were to just listen to it straight through, you'd never notice the breaks. You can export the entire thing into whatever format you need, like MP3 or whatever the heck, right? Whatever the, whatever is recommended by the host, which is something I can point you towards for YouTube because they have a recommended audio format and it's good to follow those kinds of things. Cause if you can follow it exactly, you can guarantee perfect quality for without transcoding, without transforming your audio in, into some other preferred format that they use. You can lose a little bit of quality there. And again, if all we're doing is audio, which for now it's all we're, all we're doing. If all you're doing is audio, you want to make it perfect. Um, I can hear you sneezing from across the universe. Um, the okay. <laughs> so that is. Oh man, that just killed my train of thought. Wow, <laughs> sneeze. Okay, so the video preparation stuff. So I can do the audio clipping, and I have the ability to pull out those audio clips and push them together in any way you see fit. So if you say, well, we need to have a four second pause or you say something like that, I can, I can accomplish that trivially. Or if you say that you want every single one of those little clips as different audio clips so that you can have, like, if you do animation or something for all I know, you can tell me to do that kind of stuff. So I need to hear from you what to, what to provide you in terms of these audio clips and uh, because some of the lines of thought can be two minutes or five minutes, there's no way of knowing. So I can, I usually just like grab and try to get maybe 10 ish minutes, you know, like eight to eight to 12 minutes. Right now it audio. doesn't matter. I just say grab either one, either at least maybe five minutes of a topic or two topics that can go up to six, seven minutes. Okay. So I can do that per so video clip. Nice. Okay. Cause all and... we need to do is just build 
as we want attraction and people to get interested and we just need just a topic or two okay so something pretty quickly just to some, some something easy something easy for a listener yeah okay so i can do that and okay what what are your thoughts on doing the same thing but for a for a show not for a live show but for well maybe also for a live show but for a so for this coming tuesday when we upload what we're talking about right now for for the tuesday for that to be that scheduled live large show um and it's it's the one that i've like clipped out the 10 minute breaks right so i've done some stuff like that i've edited a little when that goes up do you want to have like a five minute intro of some interesting stuff because that because it takes a while to wind up into a show so maybe that's I, just, I know some places do like two minutes one minute even well they talk about certain things but or it's like <clears throat> it's kind of we can play around with it but i think it's some do some don't i just can't I don't think we need to, but is it something you'd personally be interested in listening to if you were interested in the show? Not really, because if I'm just because if I'm already invested sitting there listening to the entire thing, I'll just I'll hear it anyways. Oh. Okay, so then that so it might just be a time saver for me to not hear what's going to be included in the uh, in what I'm going to watch. Yeah, I tend to not like that kind of thing for the same reasons if I'm going to watch the whole thing anyway. Um, but I can see how it would engage some people. But, okay, so so your call. So we'll say no. Um, yeah, I'll say no. Then the next thing to think about is for the... Uh, for, actually, hmm? going back on topic of somewhat to explain what's in it, um... If you're listening to the entire thing, or would you be listening to the entire thing or just skipping, like, skip this, skip this, skip this, or... Well, we don't have a table of contents concept to help people skip. Yeah, so, so... It's like, one of us, maybe you, or I could go back into it, just does a timestamp of certain places when on topics. Good or... luck. Yeah. That's a nightmare, because that has to happen... So that involves the re-listening to the entirety of every show every single time, which if we're present while we're talking, um, we can uh, kind of self-curate how we talk so that we don't have to go out and edit, edit topics out or something like that, which is what some shows have to do. Um, but but me going back and because i'm not being paid for this so me going and spending another three hours listening to the entirety of a show yeah. while pausing and taking notes is preposterous until this becomes popular enough that that pays off somehow not necessarily monetarily but until there is an actual audience benefit for that there is no uh that should not be a pursuit because that's just going to be a, that's going to be a drag man it's going to be a lot of work. Um, but I'm, I do see where you're going. Maybe we can do it from the other angle. Which I might is, try and actively do it as we're recording, but that might be a challenge in itself. Right. I mean, that would kind of be more your thing if you're not talking, right? And you, you tend to not talk so much. Because um, we're a contrast, right? 
So the idea would be that your value would be in interacting with an audience or prepping questions to make sure that I pay attention to some of that stuff or researching topics, finding web pages on stuff, showing things. Now the, the technical behind the scenes stuff, behind the scenes stuff. And um, if you were to know enough to take notes, to make a table of contents, that would, you would be the right person to do that. But that's, that's insane. That's really difficult. I don't think there's much of a point doing that anyway. But the other side of it is if going into, if going into a show, it might be possible to have a set of topics and to enter into a show by talking about those topics with a very brief overview. And that, that ends up becoming the intro to the rest of the show while not being a duplicate at all. And it, it is not going to be wholly true because we'll either run out of time or find, we'll find some other interesting thing to, to be derailed by some other interesting thing to talk about. But, um, but it, it would be that it would kind of be a, um, a lazy version of a table of contents of, is, is going into a show with some idea of what's going to go on and just talk about the, that stuff right away. So, I mean, going into this show, I've got you know, more than half a dozen bullet points of stuff just off the top of my head to talk about. Um, and this, uh, this video preparation topic was one of them, even though we went slightly somewhere different. So yeah, I think um, maybe for, for next time, so for Wednesday, um, I will enter into the show and we'll just do an overview of the stuff that I've taken notes on stuff that I've experienced that I want to talk about. Okay. And that will be the natural table of contents and just don't do any extra work <laughs> unless, unless there's a real, unless like that's the, that, that is just too much work for not enough reward right now. Um, I, that's something I'd get like an unpaid intern to do, which technically is you, but you're better off doing other things right now. Um, Okay, so so we've got a chunk of time. I've got another 15 minutes. So I do want to talk a little bit more about gardening. Um, and I've mentioned that I don't, it's not my thing. And I'm kind of learning about it. It's kind of interesting. I think a lot of people have kind of a handyman side of things where they, they want to understand how things work, how things are built. Um, I happen to really like watching the instructional videos of people who are experts compared to me doesn't mean they really know what they're doing but they're accomplishing something that i it's not necessarily a thing that i want to accomplish myself but i'm just fascinated by the the non-arrogant demonstration of expertise and so gardening is kind of in that realm is near that realm for me and i'm these days getting interested in what I can do with a terrible backyard if I don't want to replace soil because there are some options and one of the options is building a what's called a raised bed there's there's a container and there's box and there's raised bed so a container would be like you can use a plain old plastic bag put dirt in it and grow stuff in it 
if you, it's not that easy, maybe you got to poke some holes in the bottom. Uh, maybe maybe you got to make sure you don't wiggle it around too much or the soil is going to fall out. Maybe it needs to be a certain size, right? Only certain plants can grow in there. You can use like flower pots are the classic container grown plant. Um, but you can use a bucket to grow potatoes and you can, and there's always, there are concerns about food safety, which I'll get into. Um, so that's containers and a container could be a barrel on the side of your lawn. It could be a, an old bathtub. It could be, right? It, it's whatever, right? You're just holding dirt. And because it's just, it's a container you own and it's not associated with the outside ground and you fill, you own, you fill the dirt, you can choose what you put in there. It doesn't matter what pollutant or what rocks or what the terrain. And if it's portable, it doesn't even matter what the lighting is. If you can drag it around or whatever the heck, just place it someplace nice hang it off your fence so there are advantages to container to container farming and there are even whole containers that you can um that are like fabric that are like little fabric barrels essentially that you can fill with soil and you can just plunk it down on your otherwise barren yard and the existing life doesn't really interact with it it gets rained on but snails aren't going to crawl in and up Right, so it's protected from a lot of the nature around it. So that you end up having planters like that, which are closed bottom. They're basically containers that are immobile. And so a lot of people will have like little planters, maybe on the outside of their windowsill, or maybe on the outside of their walkways, where they're 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 closed on. Um, it's like a box with no top on, right? And it's just filled with soil. And so it's very much like a container and it might be directly on the earth or it might be up on a pedestal or something like that. It might be on your, your driveway, your walkway where there's no earth under it. So that's another thing that I have an option of doing. And again, you get to control what goes in it. So you can put whatever soil you want in there. Things like weeding still exists for something like that. Cause again, seeds can blow in there and take root. And then the other is a raised bed. And a raised bed is, um, it's a box with no top and no bottom. And you put directly on earth somewhere. And the value in doing that is you have true drainage out into real, into your real yard. Um, I don't know why there would be an advantage or a disadvantage necessarily, but this is the way you would do things without having one extra surface that well will eventually rot away if it's put on put on bare dirt if you were to just put a box on your bare yard then there's just one more surface of exposure for the the wood it's usually wood so i could actually build and i've been watching some videos and i'll do a little bit more of people building um just these these they're these just boxes out in their yard and just filling with dirt and then figuring out how to and it's and there's a lot that goes into it there's a lot of what kind of wood and how large should it be and where should it go and what what's the lighting like and and that's just that there's what soil and what layers of soil for what kind of is it seeds is it bulbs that you're putting in there how far apart how how deep all this kind of stuff and so i'm thinking I mean, the, the, 
big city folk way of thinking of things would be throw money at the problem. You find one of these places that sells a prepared thing that you, it's flat packed. So you bring it home, you assemble it and, and away you go. And it's made to be all pretty and stuff, but I really don't care about pretty. And I'm kind of interested about building stuff myself. It's, um, it's always been an intriguing it's always been something that I've been fascinated by. And so I could go down to a lumber store, a lumber mill or, or one of these places, right? Or one of these larger places that sells stuff. It's not necessarily just for shelving. I could actually build you know, boxes out of it and put dirt in it. Cause that's all. Again, you can grow in a plastic bag. Um, and so I could just make, make my own little wooden thing and put dirt in it and, and be done with it. And dirt is apparently really cheap because I bought a giant bag. I struggled to actually carry the thing. And, and it was, it was nothing. It was so inexpensive. It was wonderful. So I could buy a lot of that and just cart it back and forth. And it would, it would cost the gas and the calories. That's it. And a little bit of money. And so if I build this box, that'd be perfect. I figure that would be perfect. Just weed under it, place the box there, and soil and all this kind of stuff, and and away I would go. I, it would be fantastic. The question becomes, and I mentioned food safety. Now what the thing is, stuff from stuff from wood or whatever will leach into soil eventually, right? I guess. So there are concerns about plastics because plastics aren't natural. And there's a lot of stuff that happens in plastics, but as it turns out, there's a lot of stuff that happens in the, there's a like treatment for wood that is more than just like pressure treatment. It's, it's usually wood that is poisoned in some way to make it anti, give it antifungal back uh, properties or uh, like to help it weather better. But there are some woods that are just naturally, uh, good at that and that wouldn't need to be treated in such harsh ways and would and would be so for example there are rules for organic farming and they're not allowed to use certain kinds of certain kinds of woods because of these concerns so for the the, the purity standards of their um their what, what would be the term for for them getting certification uh, would they be denied certain kinds of materials and such? And so I'm learning a little bit about you know, if I were to go and get my own wood, well, it would have to be a certain kind. And I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to, I want to start off on, a, on, a, on the right foot. And so I've got like plastic bins and stuff like that that would probably be good enough to be food safe. But if if I want to make it a little bit, prettier or larger or out, out my backyard or whatever i'd move from the containers that i'm thinking about now into the raised beds and then i'd have x number of raised beds out in my yard considering where they are with lighting and then with how with distance and size and stuff like that and just have you know i think i can probably put in like four decent raised beds and then they would just be covered in I don't know. That would be the next thing. I learned that you can do garlic like it's nothing. 
it's quite impressive how fast it grows. And literally, <clears throat> you just take your garlic, you break it apart, you eat the little bits because they're they're not going to grow into something big. You, you so you break it apart, you leave the skins on for all it matters, right? And you do nothing but take the thing, you stick it in, um, you stick it in the ground, make sure that the pointy part is pointing up, and you really give it a good watering, and then for every day thereafter. For a certain amount of time, you give it a slightly less good watering, and it'll it'll literally sprout in a few days. And it, every single day, you will see the sprout grow, and just and it's ready to be harvested as soon as the stalks uh, start falling over and going a little bit yellow. It's something really simple like that, and I totally want to try that. So, um, scallions green onions are the first thing and you just stick them in a cup of water for all it matters and yeah they do grow and the same with i can never remember the term because i almost never eat these things but they look like really really thick green onions um and those even though they have the roots cut off you can actually take that and stick it in water and it'll regrow its roots and it'll start growing again um, so that I also recommend. Uh, I find it a very tough, not a particularly interesting thing to eat. So I'm not too keen on that. And the stuff that I planted in soil just died. So I did something wrong. Uh, so maybe they don't have enough roots, or maybe I was mean about not watering enough. Um, or, or maybe like maybe they just planted them wrong. They're too. They're not deep enough, or they're too deep, or whatever. Maybe they. Hey, more to learn. So. So those are so probably just scallions and garlic are the things that I can focus on as as my first like little container baby crops, and then I'll grow up and I'll do maybe I'll just start with flowers or something and and there are bulbs there are bulbs or stuff I can grow from seeds that I can plant in the fall that will sprout in the next spring, and so if I could set that up then that will give me that will it'd be nice to have some indoor plants maybe that'll grow over the winter and then away i go i mean it's only summer so maybe there's um stuff i can do now but i don't know what i'm doing i really don't so yeah this is kind of my fun hobby that and this weird podcast i'm doing other stuff obviously but but these are my my interesting habits and it's nice to go out every once in a while i have some bushes i want to dig up i think um I, I do want to do that. Hey, we, we should probably do that. Yeah, I dug one up yesterday. Um, and as I was going, mm-hmm. I I almost chopped. I, I was bumping into something, couldn't figure out what it was for like two, three times. Scraped it aside. Oh, hey, look, it's covered in plastic. Hmm. What was? A power line. Are you dumb? Holy, how many times have I said... Wow! It didn't occur until now. It's like, oh wait a sec. This is. I thought. It, I thought the line was deeper. But mm-hmm. actually, that didn't matter because I dug. If you go and look at some point, you'll understand. You'll figure out. You'll realize why. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so but that's something exactly I didn't realize right. didn't exist. Well, I mean, if you. I mean, the thing is, a, a decent shovel is technically supposed to be kind of sharp, like actually sharp sharp not shaving sharp 
there's a dude that actually sh- shaves himself with a shovel. That's only because his wife got worried because he was shaving himself with an axe. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> real man shaves his face. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's maybe, any better. That's, I mean, yeah, I actually worked with a sh- uh, shovel that was really sharp. I mean, and, if you did it with a sickle, I can understand, but the shovel... Well, the, for shaving? Yeah, well, the sickle... But you get the idea. It's just sharpened, sharpened whatever the heck is good enough for a lot of men to shave. But not for me. I'm a little bit more sensitive than that. Or maybe I'm just I just lack the dexterity to use something as stupid as a as an axe. Anyhow, shovels are supposed to be sharp technically, and I suppose they're just supposed to have a fine enough point. Um, and you're lucky that the shovel that we've been using, those sorts of shovels, aren't slash the combination of the the wrapping on the cabling is is actually you didn't like hurt yourself uh the there's a power shut off that we probably should have talked about yeah you told me about it okay so it, the power should be shut off to that yeah. particular space and um so it would have been safe but you know but bad things happen and and this is exactly why you call power line, the call companies. So a lot of, so for, because we have this internet thing, it's actually remarkably easy to submit tickets to, to your, your local region. So it's not going to be statewide. It's going to be region wide. It's going to be something like a, I know in the United States is really strange how they've, they've actually got, different overlapping zones that are that have regulations in certain ways but if you if you contact your your regional regulatory whatever the heck there are often these online forms that you can submit just submit your location and maybe some other information right your location maybe you draw a map detailing where exactly around your location not your just address but you might say front yard and you get a picture and you draw a little box around your front like maybe that's how you work or maybe you have to have somebody come out or maybe maybe find out it's actually a call before you dig is a phrase that gets used because people do damage to the utilities aren't your property technically speaking and sometimes you you would be held liable for poking around and doing damage to the cabling and i'm not talking necessarily electricity although that's sometimes a thing um but internet connections, for example, or phone connections or whatever, um, or if you are dumb enough to bump into a pipe with enough force that you crack it or something. Oh man. Yeah. We're, we're at our, our break time. So we'll come back and I'll talk about what it's like. If, if you actually crack a pipe, <laughs> bad things happen. So we'll be back in another 10. Okay. I'm here. Okay, and we remove oh, we these two. Ah, oh, we have like two minutes, but oops. I do not know. Oh, I guess the clock is the clock on our microwave is wrong. Oh, you said it. Probably did. I'm not sure. I'm gonna blame uh, daylight savings time. Yeah, that's it. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> that's the only time I fiddled with it, right? 
I'm surprised they don't sell um, microwaves that because there's a there's like a and I think it's an FM radio broadcast with the current time, and that is used by a lot of devices to automatically set their time. For a microwave to to have daylight savings signs, it needs to know the concept of a date. And it's just a microwave. All you need is a time. But that's the thing. It could have an FM receiver, and it could set its own time that Why way. Why would you want to put an FM receiver on a microwave? That causes that make, that generates its own radio waves that it that interrupt anything around it that requires microwaves are different. A free, no, it isn't. Well, okay, look. It it doesn't represent a lot of extra money for that one convenience because there are other devices that that do do oh, that. Oh no! Once twice a year, but, you have to change the time. Oh no! Excluding uh, power on. outages, where that'll just wipe it itself, and you have to set it again it's, anyways. No, it'll do it automatically. That's the entire point. Uh-huh. So, it, I mean, just X, like every X amount of time, it just it tries it. And this is a commentary on our times, isn't it? You can have a technological solution for this stuff. And uh, I would I pay the extra for a microwave that does that? probably would i'm surprised the stove doesn't do that either i don't know why our stove has a has a clock on it i don't know if it has settings to start at certain times or stop it, at certain it times. has a beep down timer for people baking when yeah but the, it has timers it has countdown timers and stuff like that but it doesn't understand time of day which is probably good doesn't because need to i i don't want to like have like coffee makers, I can understand automatically turning on at seven in the morning or whatever the heck, but a but an oven, no, that'd be hilarious. A lot of houses would burn down because of something dumb like that. And speaking of houses burning down, if you were to dig and you were to hit a pipe because you don't know how to dig or you don't know where to dig, and you were to crack it, if it was a gas pipe. I actually looked into what would happen here. So if I were to dig in the backyard and I would hit a gas pipe, which I can't in my case, which is nice. Because um, it doesn't exist or you actually can't somehow burst a gas pipe? Well, it, it's a combination of these things, right? So there's a certain depth of certain kinds of stuff. And for the depth that I investigated, I don't have gas pipes, right? So that's something. So if I were to dig past a meter, maybe but not for me. Okay, so, and I, I actually got much more thorough information anyway, but they're not... So I got more thorough mapping uh, that disregarded um, depth for some spaces. I'd, or even though I didn't want that. Anyway, if you were to, to hit a gas pipe, the procedure is like, okay, step one, go in and turn off the power to your house. <laughs> turn off all the stuff. No. Call 911 on your way over there. Knock on all your neighbor's door. Make sure that they do the same stuff. Like get everybody out onto the streets. <laughs> Wake people up. And and get like the, the the city to come in and turn the stuff off and the fire department and the and it's just if if you the idea in people's heads is if you go and you dig, you could hit a power line and kill yourself. Like you should be so lucky as to save the embarrassment of having to go and knock on all your neighbor, neighbor's doors and say, you know, hi, I screwed up. That funny smell is 
us about to die. Could you, you know, turn your power off? Could you come and have a street side? Well, we can't have a street party with a barbecue or anything. <laughs> we can talk quietly, I guess. <laughs> wait, wait for the fire trucks to come. Yeah, so it's it's so important to to call. And this is exactly the the kind of dumb mistake that some people have. If they if they keep ownership over their own property and there there there's some places where they the the owner of the land is afforded a certain leeway to do a whole lot of stuff, which I mean our rights in that respect really get limited in cities um but some people that are out in the out further away might make the assumption that it's okay but it becomes important because there could be the the weirdest stuff placed in the weirdest directions that they don't know about that are you know leftovers from um from other projects or whatever the heck that other people someplace might know about that you Pick up the phone and call and find out. Get some schematics of your area for the layout of certain pipes and wires. And don't don't take the guess that just because you know where the, the wiring is coming off the side of your house, that you know where the power lines are. Because there's more stuff going on. It could be through to a neighbor. There could be some secondary stuff going on. Who knows? And um, yeah, so, but for, for gardening stuff, you can actually, so for my region... I'm able to call not just to to get areas of information around the house. I'm actually able to specify depth, so I can say, well, what what here within one meter, within X amount of depth, and they can tell me what that slice has. So that I, the re, I actually chose one meter because that's like that's a pretty extreme amount because I was thinking of removing soil. And, and just re- literally replacing the soil. And one meter is, is way more than I would ever want. I would probably only want about 30 centimeters, and that's a lot. And well, I've got a tape measure for the Americans. So, okay, 30 centimeters. 12, 13 inches. 12 feet. You're 12 inches, sorry. Oops. So it's about 12. Okay, so... Um, so that is a crazy amount of earth to want to replace, but that's about the amount that you might want if you're planting potatoes or something like that. Anything under there can be kind of terrible soil, but it doesn't matter too much. But um, but cutting that out, maybe tilling the rest that's down there safely is. But understanding to one full meter is um, will give a lot. And if I were to ask for more underneath that, I might get a whole lot more information about stuff that I don't care about because I'm not digging that far down. And because they came back with, because like, multiple companies came back to me and they came back each with a schematic that's an aerial view. And none of it told me the depth of anything. So if I requested information too deep, they would have given me way so much stuff and I'd, I'd be navigating around stuff that I never would have bumped into by mistake anyway. So it just, I didn't need to know anything past one meter. And uh, it was nice because I actually physically had somebody come by. And it's weird because they called, this guy called me up. He's asking me some questions. I'm like, 
you know, trying it, it was very confusing and trying to understand what the heck he's talking about because I don't, wasn't sure what zone he was in to what information he was like he was examining a certain region i wasn't sure which of those regions because i put in multiple requests for multiple places <laughs> and so i'm like wait a second are are you here right now <laughs> and I, go, I walk at the door with my phone like he's just like parked up the side it's like okay yeah i just walk over and actually have the conversation in person this is back when you could do this do that sort of thing we can like meet other humans in person and oh, uh right now we're in yeah we're so <laughs> so we walked kind of walked around the property pointing stuff out and you, you get way more when you physically have a human being with a finger you can go you know that is for this that is that and this is really strange and and so the the general idea was the there was absolutely nothing anybody had that could be within the depth that i was considering for that that area um just because of the nature of the piping that he that he was the expert in that piping does not ever go up higher than a certain depth um until you get close to their like uh maintenance hatches and that sort of stuff where you'd get that verticality that comes up for them to work on things but uh, everything else, all the horizontally run stuff is all under under one meter in our case, or even more. And so that, that was really nice to experience. And understanding going forward this sort of knowledge. So I actually, I maintained, I, I put a little project folder in, I put all the PDFs in and this kind of stuff. So I actually have access to that knowledge for the future. So I'll have to give it to the... Um, I just, you know, set it aside to make sure that anybody that needs that information has that. Um, okay, so. Oh, why did I, I have random notes here for stuff that's unrelated to this show. It's like, hey, I don't like this mountain, World of Warcraft. It sounds bad. I should replace that, that sound. I should edit the game, which I know how to do. How cool is that? Why do I have a note about music? Oh, yeah. This is the, the last thing that I have a note for, so hopefully I can ramble on for long enough. And about we might end music. it early because we have nobody here. Hmm? About music? About music. Music is a fairly easy topic. So, um, no, I, there are people, I know there are people out there who don't have music as part of their, um, as a, a deeply involved part of their life. So, uh, experimenting with new music or, you know, having playlists or doing stuff and then specifically introducing music into it as a way of uh, eliminating boredom, this kind of stuff. So other people, yourself included, might might have uh, podcasts or something else. I just and, take a song and loop it and then try to Yeah, I do too. And I go and I explore and I have different... Uh, but depending on what I'm doing, I might not want new music because that new music can be very distracting. There's a piece of me that latches on and wants to pay attention to it. But if it's a favorite song and it's a song that I know I could, I can loop it and then it just becomes a kind of a, a catchy background noise. And I really like doing that. But uh, these days I go and explore and I, I explore foreign language music a lot 
And the one of the problems with exploring a foreign language is it's in a foreign language. And so good luck poking around and finding anything but officially curated pop. So the manufactured stuff. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. You're not necessarily going to get something authentic as a start. Um, you're going to get the same the same candy-coated, um, mass-produced stuff that you would recognize and might really dislike in your current favorite genres. So the there is a sort of sickly sweetness that you'll recognize across any other language, if it's a language you don't know, every every other language. So if you just poke around, the suggestions you're going to get, it, the stuff that's popular, this it's all going to be the manufactured stuff. So if you don't like that that um, influence in the music you do know, so if if you don't like, um, if I can name a band, um, if you don't like Taylor Swift. For example, so that is a well-established artist who, if you didn't know English and you were to poke around and find like famous English singing and, and you just like, uh, and find like a top 10 list or something like that and poke around, you, you might bump into that. And the reverse is true. If you poke around, in my case, I was looking for, um, right now it's the music that I'm listening to is Turkish. Um, do I have that right? I think it's, I think that's right. Man, I have to look that. You know, I kind of want to look that up really quick so that I'm not totally wrong. Yeah, it is Turkish. Um, okay. So, so I'm, I'm interested in Turkish music. So the equivalent for me is when I went and poked around with Turkish music, I am going to find the Taylor Swift equivalent just in Turkish. And so if, if I happen to like some of Taylor Swift, I only know like a handful of songs anyway, and I don't have a collection. Her old stuff is really adorable and I know why she got popular, but she's nothing like where she started. So her, her popular stuff these days, um, is okay. And so I'm getting that version just in a different language. So I'm getting a, you know, a different ethnicity of pretty with a different language with the same kind of tunes with a different twist on stuff because you, you've got a different audience that has a different background and so there is that um that ethnic twang to everything it's like like listening to certain singers that come from, so taylor is not an example of this but listening to certain singers that have a background in like country music or a background in, in something else you'll hear a bit of that as they evolve it's the same thing if you were to listen to something popular from some other land where there would be some upbringing from some cultural thing and and there is but there is some level of the corruption of popularity where things get massaged into this just just so so that's always pretty in this way it always sounds a certain way so that's one of the risks of having explored languages other than English, when I don't understand the language well enough, I just, I end up with the popular version of stuff, which can be really 
tiring. Um, but, uh, but it's interesting. So one of the things that I've learned and it's taken a lot of work to actually explore many, many hundreds of artists, as well as every genre I can get my hands on, is I like a particular kind of voice. And some people will say something like, well, I like this kind of music because it, and they won't know why necessarily, but it is a specific style genre. So they're, the bass works a certain way and there's a certain, so, so somebody might say, well, I like, and they might say, oh, I like old-fashioned country music. And, or they might say, well, I like like new pop, or I like K-pop, or I like, right? Like, and you can just, be, and there's a category, and you'd like the stuff in that category. Well, I'm not like that. I've found that I like a certain kind of instrumentation and a certain kind of voice, which is technically an instrument. So my, I like, electronic sounds and that goes through a whole lot of different stuff um and some of that is being brought into into pop into a lot of pop music and uh i grew through 1980s music so and that had a resurgence in the 90s and it's still around now it's getting another one again and that has influenced all kinds of you know uh, electronic variations of stuff that's out now one of the things that you could look into for that which i love is what would it be called it has a whole bunch of different names you could say like like 80s outrun music and that's or retro wave i've heard it called and this stuff you'll find playlists on youtube so if you look up retro wave and there's a bunch of different something or other wave variations uh and it has a very specific flavor of music that borrows heavily from 1980s the the fake instrumentation the the electronics derived stuff that was just interesting and being played with because it was kind of new um it is a, a revisit of that style of music so i like a lot of that stuff and a lot of it would be like classically uh, borrowing from 80s but it's not necessarily that it's just the instruments and the other is uh, specific so first off i prefer um, almost exclusively female singers for a lot of stuff for a specific class of music which is love songs which is most music and for for real stuff that actually talks about life or you know suffering it's male because you know i'm male and so I, I have a split that way, which is a pretty straightforward split. And so I tend to dislike a whole lot of bands just, just immediately because I would prefer to have, I have noticed, and this is not some preference outside of this, I've listened to a lot of music and I like certain stuff. Um, and so for the female side of stuff, for the female singers, um, I like a contralto voice, which is a very specific and rather rare kind of voice. So it is the, of the ranges that are possible in human voices for females, it is the lowest of the range. And that doesn't necessarily mean, because we, we think high and low, that doesn't mean it's the most masculine voice. It just happens to be the lowest of the female range. And this all ties back to me looking through foreign music. Um, 
so far, all of the Turkish women have a, something near a contralto voice. I'm not an expert at, at listening for that specifically, but they all have a, a, a certain kind of voice, and all of them I like. And it's a very strange thing. So it could just be the, the Taylor Swift equivalent, the pop equivalent. It happens to be, happens to get down to that contralto range. Or it could just be, you know, I haven't investigated enough or whatever. But so far, so like so far, Turkish music is like, well, this is this is all kind of a lot of stuff is kind of fitting together. And I really like that kind of voice. Um, a lot a, a lot of it is just really sickly sweet, and maybe I need to explore to get like the the non-Turkish Taylor Swift, get away from that and find something. And maybe then I'll get some vocal range, maybe I'll fall in love with the variations in tunes maybe maybe i'll i should just look up like 1980s turkish music <laughs> see what happens um and for male voices i haven't really explored enough but there's uh, uh like i bumped into because i went through some of my music archives like old red hot uh, red hot chili peppers for example that particular voice is good or five finger death punch or like it's just it just goes all over the place and a lot of his like original lincoln park uh pre-lincoln park lincoln park i don't know if how many people know about the other couple couple bands that before they became that including the originals before they got chewed up and made into the stuff that became popular i have that stuff i have the rare stuff I have stuff that's so. I have stuff before people knew that it would become music. I have the original voice samples for one of the songs, which I need to find. I have a note that tells me to go and find that, and it's been a while. And that would have been one of the things that if I could get a hold of the band members, they'd be like, "Jesus, you know where that's from?" Because I doubt they even know um, if they remember, because it's really old stuff. Anyhow, totally off topic. I'm an archivist. I have all this kind of stuff, this weird stuff. So I have browsed through music from so many different languages. I can't even keep track. And uh, it's the, the, I am absent of the music from a whole lot of regions. A lot of stuff that I'm is going to be like directly first world or first world impacted um that has been comfortable and safe for decades so this is absent of a lot of places that have had recent wars for example so i i don't have a whole lot of stuff from anywhere in africa um i don't have a lot of stuff from like uh, you i won't find anything i haven't bumped into stuff from like vietnam or from like a lot of south america it's always these big populous rich places so it's like japan or all across europe a bunch of stuff from russia but not nearly enough obviously a bunch of stuff in north america i've gone through for a huge amount of stuff um and but for foreign languages like poland for some reason and not enough from france although i did bump into one girl who's just adorable and so french it's weird not quebecois french france french big difference 
and finish of all things. I really like some finish. And if you're into heavy metal, you want to go to like the classics in Norway. <laughs> and strangely, you want to go to Japan. <laughs> Japanese heavy metal is the strangest thing ever. So yeah, there, there, there's more in terms of exploring music, understanding these foundational things, and then splitting off either uh, genre and then working through foreign language in that genre. So if you if you like metal, you you definitely need to go into the the Nordic countries, and you need to you should investigate Japan just cause like if you look into kawaii metal, that's adorable, adorable, and you if you identify any particular genre, then you spread out that way. And the other is identifying instruments and or voices or something like that, and then pursuing. So I still. I don't fully understand how I would pursue stuff in a lot of languages like Arabic would be a huge one to tackle because it's a lot of people, there's a, there's a lot there. And I don't even know where to begin for most places throughout Africa because a lot of the stuff is like, okay, South Africa is a bit of a weird exception because there's enough English-esque stuff in there for us, for us to bump into some things. But everywhere else, I don't even know where to begin so maybe i do like uh get a map and then look at language groupings and then specifically explore like using the english phrases oh in and like top 10 2020 and that language and then just hope youtube can figure stuff out and then from there maybe use a translator or something like that but i tend to not do that I go, I just bump through recommendations and, and that would be a, an interesting side project to pursue, but it is a, it's a strangely fulfilling amount of work. And then you bump into something, you fall in love with it and you put it on loop for a week and then repeat the process ad nauseum. So I'm, I'm not necessarily out of steam, but I am mostly out of topics to talk about. And as usual, um, I got nothing. You... Because you're useless. I mean, you're. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, that's a. It's because I'm not relying on you, so that's. It's okay. Um. Oh, I'll, I forgot. So, yesterday, I want to ask you what. What were the do nots we don't talk about? Because. I should have. Oh, you starting to so, think on topics. Would you like me to broadcast live what the things we shouldn't talk about? Is that. Is that what you're asking? Mm, it can be. <laughs> so the general idea of of the internet is. So, I I don't intend to be a politician, so we can get that off our chest. And um, I I don't intend to be a public face necessarily, but um, I. It isn't a reputation that I that I that anybody needs to protect, but there's a whole lot of stuff that um, might be very valuable to certainly to think about in your life. Uh, but there's a whole lot of stuff that other people have opinions on, the so-called hot button topics, and a lot of that is just the outrage of the day, the two minutes of hate, the however however you want to think about it. 
the cycles of like I've, I've talked before the cycles of things like fear porn when the media will hype up something um there's there's stuff that is that becomes important or falls out of importance depending on certain news cycles sometimes depending on events in the world you know, disasters or whatever the heck or based on like um uh, like election cycle stuff because there's a lot of election cycle stuff especially with the united states and a lot of that will will poison the media in canada even uh, and it's certainly in public discourse because in terms of population a lot of the population of listeners or just people who interact will come up from the united states there's nothing we can really do about that and the the general idea is part of it is is broadening or keeping a breadth of available interested listeners and you can't do that by starting to talk about certain topics that agitate into uh, factionalism so when you start talking about anything it, moderation like the idea of being a moderate of being un without an opinion it, it's that's a concept that doesn't exist for a lot of people they automatically latch on and want to make you part of their team or part of the opposing team. So there's no there's no concept of having a broad listening base because they, they start instantly become becoming antagonistic to one another or to you, or they start thinning out to being just that echo chamber. So the idea is you you keep topics fairly distant, detached from certain immediate events like maybe now i would talk about something like the tsunami in japan and i would rail against you know, blizzard incorporated selling a pet and and something like that an, an inline game an in-game trans microtransaction for a pet as a way of supporting and maybe i would do that but that's even that's not because it's well after the fact but even that is kind of in poor taste even that is kind of politicized. So it's not, that's an example of the sort of thing you just shouldn't bother doing. So the news of the day, the, and anything that has too many people that are, that are angry or passionate in any senses. But in today's world, there's a lot of people who get instantly. Yeah. Well, and the, and even talking about them or that is, is not wholesome. The entire idea is what what I would like to do is this is I don't mind talking about life about things in life that are reserved for adults without being adult topics. I don't mind having essentially the equivalent of like grown-ups talking about random stuff that's suitable for 14-year-olds for somebody who's interested in listening. Right? but it doesn't have to be politicized doesn't have to be and again it's this is this is something that i wouldn't normally want to talk about so i i know a woman who i'm quote unquote met and she wants to think of herself as a friend but she's not I've told her that because it's it's internet association it's it's friendship through talking on the internet it's not like i guess there's another class of friend that arises out of that situation but she her belief is that uh, if in the 
presence of adults, all topics are are open, and especially sexual ones. And I told her that that was a, a deeply offensive perspective, and she can't understand. And she she drives everybody around her away because she has that perspective, and she constantly she doesn't understand that she's testing barriers, and that's exactly the sort of problem that can trivially arise if the philosophy of something like a podcast doesn't have good constraints. If you don't understand where your boundaries are, you constantly bump up against them or you try to use like the term in politics is dog whistling. If you try to use dog whistling to to bump up against the little, the difficult things, then you end up agitating quite a lot of people. And so the the notion is to to totally eliminate the topics that might that might we that you might want to pacify your speech um, when you're talking about these things. So you just eliminate those topics entirely. So you just like you like and talk about gardening. Like it's not it's not. I don't need to talk about the supply chain fears or anything like that. I don't need to talk about the the political problems leading to poor or whatever the heck that's directly leading to uh, issues in food distribution. I don't I don't need to talk about like foreign ownership of meat factories. I don't uh, I don't need to go to all those places in order to build a foundation to talk about something like making like growing your own onions. I can just talk about it. I don't need to have the even as interesting as it is for me to talk about like how important having one's own like little windowsill herb garden is like i can talk about that directly without having to talk about you know empty shelves at the grocery store that one time i don't i don't have to talk about the history of that kind of thing happening under certain circumstances the the people that are interested in something like homesteading or prepping don't need me to dog whistle those topics to them i can just directly talk about hey i found these ludicrously expensive uh, cases of canned water of all things i don't need to like bring up bomb shelter stories or anything like that i can just talk about like i i was looking for bottled water because it was neat it was a cool topic i'm interested in it i can just directly talk about it without all the weighty background <laughs> And I totally do want to talk about the canned water thing because it's hilarious. Did I talk about that before? No. No? Okay. So I've always, just just like just like I've always kind of been interested in, in home repair and um, and like you see back when, it, when I was a kid you see things like the Rambo movies and you'd be like there's this this one big strong guy is out there surviving on its own. He's or you get like fishing with nothing but a string and a, a paper clip or whatever the heck, and and you get like the MacGyver stuff with with you just figuring stuff out or fixing stuff. I love all that kind of stuff. So I was really interested in um, survivalism, survivalism and homesteading, which are kind of blurred together these days. And survivalism is the notion of like well. Well, what happens if if your your plane falls out of the sky and you survive 
and you're in the woods and all you have is a knife <laughs> what can you do <laughs> and so you get like these these like the like green beret manly man type of guy they'd be like oh this is this is how you this is how you would make a rabbit trap and this how you would skin such and such and this is this is what poison ivy looks like and this and so it's like it's like boy scouting for adults and the the idea um the best idea is having the what's called a zap the zombie action plan it's the hipster uh city folk bug out bag concept where all if all you have is something you can carry is like a bag and the zombie apocalypse happens and you had to run away really quick well what kinds of things and but they would intentionally wrap that in the context of larping for a zombie apocalypse they wouldn't be talking about well what happens if your power grid goes down or what happens if right the city doesn't have sewage uh, sewage maintenance or what happens it doesn't talk about because a lot of that came from the 1950s in the united states with the uh the cold war and there was some really serious um threats for like nuclear attacks that, that was an actual thing like it's no joke and so there was a, a, a kind of a culture that rose around the idea of self-sufficiency it was already uh quite an american thing it still is and so the survivalism concept is uh, it's very distant and adorable for a lot of people who they've got three days worth of food and they just go to the grocery store right it's these are the same people that have only x amount of clothing and then they have to, they have got nothing but their underwear on they do all of their clothing at the same time it's just like they're sufficient only in the structure of the civilization around them the survivalism seeks to detach from that enough that they can survive without that that civilizational structure for a little bit longer or for less reliance and it, it's often just fun and hobby sometimes it's for cost savings sometimes it's because they're just really passionate about not about like reusing and repairing stuff so or growing their own and homesteading is very is nudged up to that it's it's kind of the equivalent of what what would happen if you lived in the woods and you could do whatever you want with your land well how would you get water how would you get power how would you you know grow your own food how would you how would you be how would you disconnect from the 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 grid is the term so for for water and sewer and electricity and and these are fascinating things to me and so i i i've always kind of paid attention to this stuff and the zombie action pan action plan concept was just the most incredibly funny thing um it's like well you know, gun isn't really going to be important because you can't shoot a zombie. Well, shooting it in the head is kind of hard, and so you really want a good like a machete. <laughs> and other people are like, well, you want an axe or like, well, where do you get one of these things? How do you carry? It? Isn't it kind of bulky and is it kind of loud? And and it's just dumb. Con it's it's very head cannon. Very, and you got the conversations about well, what kind of zombie and and. But it, it it's still the package of, well, if you just had a backpack, you need to have medical supplies. What kinds of things would you want? You need a good first aid kit. Well, do you even know how to do CPR? Do you, and, and on and on. And it's, it's just, that's a large package of really interesting stuff that's been 
kicking around um, for decades, decades now, um, long before I've been alive. And so I've always kind of been curious about that. So I, I poked around. I poked around partly because I wanted to have a, because a guy I know, um, he used to do actually like for a living farming. And he talked about his particular concerns about food for his region. And he uh, restarted his own personal gardening. And he made, I, I actually saw him walking through his space. And it's a massive, you know, you live in a city for long enough, you look at these people, people's like properties, and it's just absolutely staggering how much space they have. And so he, he actually made a, I don't even know if it's basically a farm. I can't really call it gardens because his wife was saying that it was 10 times larger than anything they've ever done before. He actually sweated off multiple pounds worth of, of actual body weight, putting in the amount of effort to do all this stuff. Um, he didn't get it done on his deadline, but it still got done. And it's just a massive amount of, of rows and rows and rows of stuff. He was talking about, um, I mean, you can, because it's his expertise, that's what he was reaching for. Maybe it was his coping mechanism. Maybe, you know, it, it's what he, what he could do to help for the rest of us. It might be just making sure your investments are in order, making sure whatever the heck. So he was doing his equivalent with his expertise and he was advising the people. A lot of people are talking about, oh, making, you should have your own garden, by the way. And, as soon as people saw that shelves did not have toilet paper on them, people went, oh, well, yeah, I guess I should have thought of this before. And a lot of places had some really serious problems. Maybe, I don't know about now. So it's, again, we wouldn't, I wouldn't want to bring up a lot of the stuff that I've experienced, that I've seen, that I've heard about. Um, just because it's, it's too, it's too close to home for a lot of people. So I've I've been interested in all that stuff and because there's been a resurgence and because it's influenced somebody that I know who's who's advised me specifically about this stuff I've been thinking about. And you know, I've got I've got powdered food and it's just part of my diet. So I had I ate soylent for a while, I switched to whole food. And it's wonderful stuff. I got the chocolate variety, it's really good. If you're Canadian, I recommend it. If you're American, go with soylent. They're fiddling with their recipe again for some reason. I mean, it's probably a supply chain thing. Uh, they'll give you the excuse, the ex their excuses. Well, we don't want to have uh, artificial some, something or other, so we're switching to this instead. And that's the excuse they're giving. But um, it's probably, a, a, you know, it's business, right? So it's probably a price thing or it's a supply chain. It's a relationship thing somewhere in business or a regulation has changed. So they're making adjustments to what they use or how they make things or whatever. So Whole Food for Canadians, I recommend it. Here is where I would give you a referral link, but you know they've got like a sampler kit online and stuff. You have to know how to make it though. A lot of people won't like it because they won't chill it for long enough, or they maybe make it too thin. Um, but it's it's my first experience was it was like drinking a chocolate cake, which is actually kind of bad. Um, but I ended up settling down into a, a mixture that worked really well for me. It's really good. I make a great hot chocolate out of it. So I've got that. So I'm not really concerned about food, but I am. Um, I am interested in like water. So we get these, like I said, five gallon 
bottles of water and we I can get them delivered, right? So I don't have to fill them in manually at a grocery store or anything like that. So I can actually have somebody drop them off at my doorstep. And so I get that. So I, I, I've got them. And I did explain my concern about bacteria for one of them, but otherwise it's a great experience. And so I can do that and I can have, you know, I can have a few days of water around. I'm thinking, well, how long does this water last? Because like, I can get these like uh, water purification tablets or like iodine or whatever the heck other materials. And some of them are like, oh, if there's a nuclear fallout, this this is like an anti-radiation tablet. And that, that stuff's, that's an actual real thing. Um, it's for, for, if you've ever seen the TV show um, Chernobyl, it actually talks about the little tablets for protecting the the liver and uh it's only so good and only for so long but this kind of stuff exists in the real world and so there's stuff for water and there's there's water purifiers and all this kind of stuff and it's fascinating to look into and i eventually bumped into you can purchase um like packages of water and the water's already been pre-treated with this this sort of stuff as well as being manufactured in a highly sterile environment um and so you get like juice boxes of water stuff like that and you can get these little um just packets of water so it's kind of like um if you've ever had those popsicles that they come in like little little bandoliers of of popsicle sticks and they're they're in the little plastic sleeves and they're like just sharp enough that they're uncomfortable, but they won't cut you when you suck on the end. So it's kind of like water packs that are a little bit wider than that. But the idea is you, you tear them off and you'd, you'd have one. But they only, la- only quote unquote, only last for five years you know, under good conditions. Um, and they're not meant to be frozen, for example. Um, although some of them can survive that. So you could put them in your garage or whatever, right? And it's, it's one of those, well, just in case. But if it's only for five years, that's not a lot of time. And I was looking around, well, everything says five years. And but it's five years from its date of creation, and you might not get something that's fresh. Which, if you wanted five years, all you get is four. That kind of stinks. So I looked around and I looked around. And I found a company that actually cans water, cans, and it's canned water that is good for fifty years. <laughs> and no kidding, it is actually canned water. And it's a, the, the problem is, the problem is that it can't survive freezing because it's canned. And that's, that was, that's a killing point, but it's also horrifying expensive, just, just terrible. And, but I'm thinking, well, I mean, it's, it's just kind of neat. What I wanted to do for the longest time is have a, a thermal mass of water because you can actually build a, if you ever want it outside, experiment with something. You can actually experiment with building your own wall, and because you can create your own shade that way, right? So it, you can only make it so high and all this sort of stuff. And don't want to build it next to your windows in case it falls over and breaks your window and stuff. But if you if you have a little space, a little garden space or whatever, you can take like you can make your own kind of house in various ways. You can do it out of mud bricks and stuff like that. But one thing that one person was doing is taking like wine bottles and building them up and putting and cementing them into a wall. And then you have this beautiful rainbow thing. It's actually, 
it's a valid wall that can actually it retains the heat from the day and it releases it a little bit at night so that you you actually have you can create an area if you create a home like that like a little hut you can actually keep it fairly cool during the day and fairly warm at night but you can actually make it out of two liter bottles of water with uh, like a tablet of uh, some sort of sterilizer uh, i don't think it's directly something like bleach but it's it's in the direction of something dangerous to drink so it's not meant to make it drinkable it's just a thermal mass of water and one one guy had it painted black and he so he built kind of a wall out of that and what it would do is it would literally soak up all the sun it would get warm during the day and at night it would release all that heat so it was kind of like the self-warming thing and at night the reverse would happen and during the day it would keep itself cooler than it would normally so thermal mass i always wanted to kind of do that sort of thing just to see what it would be like so i've been thinking about what would happen if i had like a rack of these cans sitting next to my window and it would just and it's just like additional thermal mass for that wall and it absorbed all the sunlight from the morning and that at night it would release it and so i mean it's not really suitable necessarily for my climate or anything but uh it was always a cool idea so we're out of time and that was a ridiculous way to end it but but there you go so i'll try to write down more notes for next time and we're kind of running out of stuff that i can ramble on about but um this was fun this was fun so you're doing your tear down now yeah yeah, I'm going to stop the stream and recording. And it stopped.